another bank just shut down. Regulators today abruptly closed Signature Bank. Kinds of uncertainty surrounding the banking sector tonight. Markets tumbled in North America and Europe, dragged down by banking stocks and alarm about Credit Suisse. The two biggest geopolitical rivals of the U.S. want to counterbalance the dominance of the dollar worldwide, and Russia is increasingly embracing the yuan. I am an ardent defender and a lifelong defender of civil liberties. And Bitcoin is both an exercise and a guarantee of those freedoms. All right, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bitcoin versus the banks. And I'm joined here by Lisa Huff. Lisa, how's it going? Hello, Milan. Very well. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I apologize uh, to the people out there in case you hear a baby whining faintly. I've got my kid downstairs and uh, he's, he's being a little, I don't want to call him a brat. He's just very needy today. Um, yeah, today is a, an interesting day. There's some big news, uh, Bitcoin related news. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you've got your eye on the, on the ticker or on the news, uh, you probably are well aware. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're going to get into some other stuff too. Uh, Lisa, in case anybody doesn't know you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your past and uh, your sort of introduction to Bitcoin? Yeah, thanks. Um, I was an energy trader for a long time, and my focus in Bitcoin has been twofold. Um, it's been helping people hold their own keys. I worked at Unchained Capital, and I left Unchained to, to go to a startup that actually didn't start, but our... Our focus was um, was buying a bank so that we could offer Bitcoin-related financial services. And uh, I spend a lot of my time because I'm in Houston and because my network is, is mostly energy folks. I would say maybe that's just naturally because a lot of folks that live in Houston are in the energy business. Um, but I spend a lot of my time helping people touch Bitcoin that are in the energy business. So helping them dispel the narrative that's in the media that may have led them to think, you know, Bitcoin mining is something out in the ether that's terrible and it's only done by guys in hoodies in their parents' basements. Uh, I helped them shift that to, you know, there's actually a way that you can monetize your molecules using Bitcoin mining. So I meet with a lot of teams, meet with energy companies, meet with energy investment banking teams, uh, meet with wealth managers that are that are here in town that, you know, have clients that are curious. So yeah, I, I talk about Bitcoin all the time. Awesome. And some of that stuff we're definitely going to touch on today. Um, I have, you know, some understanding of like what your background is as far as like your work experience goes. I've checked out your LinkedIn. Uh, speaking of which, actually, uh, it says on there that you are, uh, quote, accelerating the collision between energy and Bitcoin. Um, so like, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm very curious. Well, the faster people can find Bitcoin mining, the faster we have global adoption. And I really, I, I strongly, fully with 100% of myself believe that the next wave of adoption comes from energy companies. And, you know, we're already starting to see um, Oman uh, announce a huge Bitcoin mining operation, right? And why is that? Because they're an energy rich country. So, you know, we in the US are also energy rich and to, uh, to find out about Bitcoin mining is a way for the energy companies to, to really look at their operations differently and to ignore it would be like ignoring 
the calculator or Excel or um, a downhole chemical that you use on a on a you know on a well site, right? Like once an efficiency presents itself into your operation, it's zero to one. It's not well. Let me just consider and see if I'll adopt it. It's zero to one. You're you move forward with the better technology. Yeah, I heard about Oman recently. I haven't really sort of dug into that information. I, I kind of want to explore that a little bit. Um, I did hear, I think it was a few months ago, that Bhutan was sort of mining secretly. I don't know what their sort of energy infrastructure looks like, but just increasingly you're seeing all these countries getting into it and and even speaking publicly about it. So it's it's really exciting and it's, it's fascinating. You can kind of see how the game theory plays out. Uh, all of these sort of smaller, lesser known nations doing their thing. Um, and and you wonder who's going to be that like big player that like more people are kind of familiar with. So I'm like really excited about that. Well, I think that big player is is out there already, right? I mean, you see Marathon has done a joint venture with, um, I think it's the UAE. There, anybody that's energy rich will be mining Bitcoin, period. You must. It's, you know, whether or not you're a nation state doing it um, to, you know, your point on game theory, uh, it's just like the biggest flex of all. It's, I mean, if especially if you're a little place, if you're Bhutan or if you're Oman, and you announce that you're mining Bitcoin, it's like a, a, it's like an innovation statement. It's a say like we are, you know, we are global leaders type statement. So for us to continue to, and, and I don't think we are in the US, I don't think that we are ignoring Bitcoin mining anymore. I, I think the narrative is dying or has died that Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin um, broadly is, you know, magic internet money. I, I, I feel that firmly has been put to rest, but do, it's- Do a, you think that, sorry to interrupt, do you think that the, the narrative of it being, you know, bad for the environment is essentially just gonna kind of fade away over the next, let's say year or two? Oh, for, for sure. <laughs> that that was the dumbest narrative of all, right? Completely funded by Greenpeace that was completely funded by Ripple or someone. Like it, it was like yeah. such a a doom loop of um a false narrative. Um almost as bad as the false narrative around Berkshire Hathaway um and and those two guys saying negative things about. Bitcoin. I mean, it's like that's firmly rooted in my belief in the uh, in the fact that they have huge interest in building peaker plants um, in Texas. And I presume in other places they're they're putting capital to work and getting guaranteed rate of return that the, they're passing the cost of that on to a ratepayer, And uh, and so why would they appreciate Bitcoin mining, when a Bitcoin mining operation also can act like a peaker plant somewhat in reverse, um, if you have a, a big Bitcoin mining facility like the Riot facility in Rockdale, Texas, that puts five or 700 megawatts onto ERCOT, um, you know, when there's a peak, peak demand spike, those megawatts can turn off and then the power goes back to the grid, right? It, it really acts, it, it fulfills the same function as a peaker plant. And, you know, and, and peakers are what Warren Buffett has, um, they, Berkshire Hathaway Energy has actively uh, worked with Texas to, like I said, I mean, they, they have worked with Texas to design a financial structure whereby Berkshire Hathaway will take, I think it's $8 billion or $10 billion to build 10 power plants. And those power plants get paid 
as if they were running 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. But in, in actuality, they're running a very small percentage of the time. But Berkshire Hathaway is paid a guaranteed rate of return. And where does that money come from? It comes as a surcharge on my utility bill. So me, the individual in Texas, it's a couple of dollars. The nail salon, it's $20. The Coca-Cola bottling facility, it's a few hundred dollars. So it's it's like an insurance policy that's being passed on uh, to ratepayers versus, you know, again, like the exact opposite of that is, is riot, publicly traded company coordinating economic activity through the capital markets, through the free market system, and uh, in essence, providing the same service, which is more power to the grid when the grid needs more power. If I have a, uh, let's say a riot, that's you know, a couple cities or villages down the road, um, does that essentially mean that my local electricity is cheaper than that of a place that maybe doesn't have a miner nearby? That's a really interesting question. And that's something I have not, uh, I have not spent a lot of time investigating that. I think over the course of time that, uh, that Bitcoin mining leads to lower energy prices, because I believe that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining incentivizes people to find very low cost, very efficient ways to, um, to capture and channel energy. So, uh, I think over time, that's what happens. I, I don't, I haven't dug into the meat of like what is happening today. Yeah. I wonder if, um, you, you know, knowing that certain mining operations are being set up in very remote locations where there really is nobody around. I wonder if it's almost, uh, we're kind of seeing the early stages of another sort of wild West where it, it's going to be this sort of energy infrastructure that comes in first. And as a result, you get this sort of wave of migrants that, that come and settle and just sort of live in and around that area. What do you think? Well, that's a hundred percent what's happening. Um, you know, gridless, um, gridlesscompute.com. They're doing that in Africa. I, I think that that's probably happening in El Salvador. Um, that's happening. I'm sure in places that don't make our, um, you know, our Twitter sort of newsfeed, but that just makes sense, right? It, it, it makes economic sense. I think Bitcoin miners are, um, inherently uh inherently looking to increase productivity for all and and that and that's the outcome is that when gridless is setting up an operation in a small place in africa to capture an energy source they're setting up energy infrastructure and i know that their purpose is to obviously mine bitcoin and capture that energy but as more people move into that area they'll back off their operations and and you know allow for the, the the communities to develop. So, and you know a thing that I um, that I try to bring up that a lot of people aren't aware of is that there's a huge percentage of the population globally who lives in energy poverty. And energy poverty is officially designed as access to energy less than four hours a day. So the narrative that energy usage is bad and that you should turn your thermostat up because that's what's going to save the world like that's garbage that's wrong more energy is good um you know i don't leave my truck running when i go to the grocery store i don't leave it running in the parking lot but i am a believer that you know more energy usage leads to um productivity we we know that it does it, it leads to better economic outcomes better health outcomes you know there are people that are still burning wood inside their house to cook 
right? They have terrible health outcomes in their life, not to mention, you know, they're, they're burning wood to heat water. I was at a, um, an orphanage in Africa a couple of years ago with my daughter, they're burning wood so that they could heat hot water. Um, so that the, you know, kids that lived in these houses could take somewhat warm showers. Um, and really not very frequently. I really think they heated the water because we were there, not because that's what they did on a regular basis. So, like that's garbage. We want more energy. We want more energy everywhere. And we want we want more energy that is coordinated through the capital markets and through um, you know, the correct uh correct functions of a free market, not through um, you know, hijacked market incentives. Yeah, really well said. Yeah, I'd like to hear from those people that are very sort of anti-energy, if you will. Um, I mean, what would they say? Like, we should be using less in the West, but maybe we should provide some of that to people in Africa. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense. You, you can't sort of have it both ways, if you will. Um, Look, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Right. No, I mean, you've got China who's building out coal plants on a daily basis, right? They're they're building out a lot of energy infrastructure that is not sophisticated technology. It's not battery technology. It's not, um, you know, whatever we consider in the U.S. to be sophisticated technology. Which, by the way, you know, batteries like in the state of Texas today, um, super high uh, low day for ERCOT. Like batteries are providing like less than one percent of the power that we need in Texas, right? The mothership of all energy. Uh, in Texas is natural gas. So, you know, we need onshore energy production. We need onshore energy um, transportation systems. We need to protect those like we protect our civil liberties because they do, uh, they are correlated, hugely correlated. So. I've heard several people say that they envision uh, energy being priced in Bitcoin. So I guess things like natural gas or any sort of fossil fuel for that matter. Uh, do you sort of come to that same conclusion? I assume you do. 100%. I mean, well, I it's never made sense to me. Um, once I read Alex Gladstein's piece that was in Bitcoin Magazine on the petrodollar, um, I, I did not know a lot about the petrodollar prior to that. I've, I've spent a lot of time um, learning about it since then because I think it's one of the most fascinating uh, sort of milestones in the... Uh, in the whacked incentive category that's ever happened on this planet. So, you know, basically, you know, 1971, um, we go off the gold standard, 1974, the US is in this economic peril and Treasury Secretary Simon and Nixon get together with Kissinger and they're like, huh, what can we do? How do we support our economy? How do we support the US dollar? And uh, they decide to go over to uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and meet with them and say, you know, hey, if you price your energy in dollars, um, we'll give you military supplies and military protection. And by the way, when you receive those dollars for your energy, you need to recycle them into treasury bills. It's that's worked out for the states pretty well over the years. <laughs> that still stands like that's some crazy stuff, right? So you know, fast forward, it took about two two years before every Middle East nation started pricing in uh, in dollars. And then if you fast forward to the like beginning of 2000, Saddam Hussein, like six months before we went in after him, he started pricing oil in euros. And we know how that ended up going for him. Right. You know how that ended up going. And then 
that all happens. And then guess what? They're back to pricing in dollars. So yeah, I, I mean, why is Norway, why would any other country price their energy in our currency? Okay, yeah, the global reserve currency, but like we kind of fell off the wagon in 1971 when our currency stopped being backed by gold, right? Now it's like backed by the, what? Military industrial complex. So, I mean, it's backed by the military and, you know, I mean, just from like a strictly, like I'm a very simple person, like let's keep this as simple as possible. You have the ability to transact in Bitcoin and it's final settlement and it's practically free and it's instant. You know, you don't need uh, however many uh, foreign exchange traders there are, however many oil traders there are you i mean just like think of the shrinking of friction points when you move out of all of the gyrations that have to take place in order to price something that was made in another country in our currency like makes no sense to me at all so yeah i don't know when that happens i mean i've been i guess not surprised by the bricks uh sort of growing sentiment among those nations. I mean, I think the clear signal there is that they're uh, that they're finished with the dollar. They, to my mind, like haven't made it all the way across the bridge and uh, they need to just price, you know, and trade in Bitcoin. It's, it's the only thing that's really fair for all of them. And they just, you know, again, like I think that the, the power um, equilibrium, it, it, there's no equilibrium in power there. And so that's why the nations, uh, some nations have more control over which currency things are being priced in than others. I think what you need is something that is neutral and what better than Bitcoin, which is completely decentralized. So yeah, it, it totally makes sense to me. Um, and yeah, I can, I can see why these BRICS countries are doing what they're doing, especially, you know, with the war in Ukraine and then the Russians having all of their assets seized. Um, again, it's that sort of game theory piece, just everything's just kind of coming to fruition very much the way I think Bitcoiners, when they sort of look at things from like a 10,000 foot view and kind of think about it really carefully and methodically, like it's all just sort of playing out the way we sort of anticipate. We're not going to get it all right, but like things just, it's almost common sense if you really think about it. Um, If energy is in fact price in Bitcoin, do you think that's what sort of leads us into this, you know, quote unquote, hyper Bitcoinization period? It's going to be a while before energy is priced in Bitcoin. I think first it takes the energy companies uh, taking the signal that, look, this is an efficiency tool. You should be using it. Um, I I use an example all the time. You may have heard me um, explain it before, but uh, you've got power companies who are producing power, putting it onto grids and there is a non-zero percent of the time that they actually pay to have excess power absorbed into the grid when it's really not necessary, right? So then, so then the grid manager basically backs off power in other places so that they can, you know, accommodate this these large players. Those large players, I mean, that that would be like Apple paying. of the time people to take their cell phones. Like that's never happening, you know? So why does that happen in energy? I I give another example. Um, I I met recently with um, a team that is with a very large 
Gulf of Mexico um, driller. And, you know, these guys are on huge platforms out in the middle of the ocean, you know, out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And they're literally like drilling down into the earth to extract natural resources. The oil gets put in pipelines and it comes back to the U.S. It, you know, feeds into the energy infrastructure. Uh, but gas is used on these platforms for various tasks. They've got to run their computers, run their operations, turn the lights on, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then they're still left over and they flare it, right? Like that's an idea that's been socialized and we need to stop because now that you have Bitcoin mining, those guys could spin up, you know, computers. They're the smartest, most technically advanced um, engineers in the world that, that work for energy companies they can drop Bitcoin mining machines down and consume some of that uh, some of that excess power. I mean, I, I also use the example, this is like baking soda, you know, like it's a socialized idea that I earn dollars, I go to the grocery store, I buy baking soda, I bring it home and I throw it down the drain. Like, I don't need to be throwing it down the drain. Like I literally just threw money down the drain, but it's a socialized idea that that's what we do because we want our drain to smell better. And it's like people, like there's other ways to mitigate um, for issues. You, you don't need to light money on fire. You don't need to throw baking soda down the drain, like use ice, use vinegar, use soap and water. Like <laughs> um, we, we are so used to these socialized um, methods and Bitcoin disrupts all of that. Um, to play devil's advocate a little bit here, rather than somebody tapping into a natural gas plant with uh, Bitcoin miners, um, can that energy not be used for something else? Like, can, can somebody come in and tap in to do some other sort of, um, say, industrial project that would involve electricity? I'm just wondering, like, why is it specific to Bitcoin mining? Well, yeah, sure. But I would offer that. You know, if I'm a large scale uh, energy producer, whether or not I'm drilling out in the Gulf or I'm producing power here on shore, I'm using natural gas and I'm making um, electrons and I'm putting them onto the grid. I don't really want anybody else on my site, right? I don't want to help somebody make uh, ice or styrofoam or um, something else, right? Like I there's no reason for me to involve that's like counterparty risk that you don't need right and we in bitcoin are so adamant that you know we're it, one of the key features of bitcoin is that you reduce counterparty risk so yeah i mean i've, I've heard of um joint ventures happening I, I think those will happen less and less over time because as bitcoin becomes and bitcoin mining becomes a socialized um norm in the energy business you know, they can handle it. Again, they're the smartest, most technologically advanced uh, engineers and, and folks on earth. And, uh, and, and they don't need, they don't, they don't need an outside counterparty coming in, uh, you know, into their landscape. And besides okay. which, like they can print money, right? Bitcoin mining is a portable pipeline. It's a way for them to monetize every molecule. And why, why would they profit share that? That makes sense to me. Well, you know, I live in Canada and I don't know if it's still going on. I believe it is where like we, we have an infrastructure in place, I think, especially with hydropower where we produce excess energy. And then not only do we give it to the States, we actually pay the U S to take it from us. 
And so it, it's very much the same thing. Like, can we not just take that extra energy, plug in Bitcoin miners, and then make even more of a profit? Like, that seems logical to me. <laughs> um, I, I want to kind of like, you know, kind of go back to some of your background, especially with Unchained, I suppose. Um, you know, I keep hearing this thing called a Bitcoin backed loan, and I, I think I understand it, but I probably don't understand it enough. And there may be people out there going like, what the heck is that? So can you kind of explain what a Bitcoin backed loan actually is? Yeah, sure. Um, and I'll speak to you just as a customer of Unchained rather than as a former employer uh, employee. So as a customer of Unchained, um, let's say that I'm irresponsibly long, or, or maybe not, but, but in this example, I'm irresponsibly long Bitcoin. And I decide that I want to buy um, a, a farm and I need to make a 20% down payment, but I'm not sitting on cash. So what I'm sitting on is Bitcoin. So through Unchained, um, you can basically apply for a loan, use your Bitcoin as collateral and exchange that Bitcoin for dollars so that you can facilitate the purchase of your farm. Um, and really what that looks like is that, uh, let's say that you borrow um, $100,000, you may end up posting you know, 250,000 of Bitcoin, the equivalent of 250,000. So it is a way over collateralized loan, but it is a fully collateralized loan all of the time. Now your risk there is that if the market goes lower, uh, it, it, and I have done this, so I can tell you it did, um, the market went a lot lower. <clears throat> and as it goes lower, you either need to post more Bitcoin against that, or you need to post more dollars, <clears throat> right? You need to pay down your loan. So, um, you know, it, <clears throat> Unchain has never had a loan loss. They, um, they're, they, they have excellent customer, um, contact, you know, they, you're very aware of what your collateral status is at all times. It's very easy to follow. It's very easy to manage your loan, um, in a volatile market. <clears throat> I will say that it can be very stressful, but if you're irresponsibly long Bitcoin and, and you want to buy something that's denominated in dollars, it's a great alternative because you don't have to sell Bitcoin. I mean, I, I could have sold Bitcoin, right. And made a down payment, but I didn't want to. And <clears throat> also had I sold Bitcoin to make my down payment, I would have incurred capital gains taxes because I was net positive on my, uh, my weighted average of my Bitcoin. So, so and you were will, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, so what I will say too with with Unchained is that, um, you know, so for the for those that are not familiar, Unchained um, helps individuals and businesses hold their own keys for Bitcoin. So in an individual's case, the individual holds two keys, Unchained holds one. And for those that really aren't aware, um, you're when I say key, it's really your seed phrase um, for your Bitcoin, and that's like your um, the, the way that I think about it myself is, um, it's, it's like a special string of, of digits. Um, you know, it's like a code. So they control one, you control two, and it takes two to move your Bitcoin. When you have a loan with them, you move one of yours. So the consumer goes down from holding two to holding one, unchained holds one, and then there's a third party um, that they do an institutional grade third party that they do business with that comes in and holds the third key. 
So Bitcoin is never rehypothecated. Unchained is not loaning out Bitcoin that they have of, you know, that, that they have one key for. Um, there's no rehypothecation. There's no loaning of Bitcoin. Um, it's all still in cold storage. Your Bitcoin is safe at all times. But, you know, in the event that the market goes against you and you don't post collateral, you don't post more Bitcoin, you don't post more dollars, you know, Unchained has the ability to liquidate your Bitcoin to cover um, your loan. So if, if I were a customer and I decided to buy, you know, for whatever reason, I bought Bitcoin at, near the top or at the top, um, and then the price did a huge dip, as we've seen it do in the past, um, I guess I'm effectively being margin called. Is that correct? If you take out a loan, if, if I yeah, if I take it alone and then Bitcoin you know drops, let's say forty or fifty percent in value. Okay, I'll give you a real example. <clears throat> sure. So if you buy Bitcoin, um, it, it doesn't really matter where you bought it. Let's just say if you're taking out a loan um, and you're taking it out and Bitcoin's trading, I think today it's like almost thirty thousand. So you take out dollars when Bitcoin is trading thirty thousand. Let's say that it goes to 15,000 on the way down, um, you will get messages that say you need to post more margin, right? You need to, you need to cover, um, you have a collateral call. So you can either move additional Bitcoin over into that account, or you can essentially pay off part of the loan by posting more dollars. So if, you know, on the, on the flip side, if, if you take out a loan and it's 30 and Bitcoin goes to a hundred, you know, you're just making your loan payments, right? Like, it's good. You're not being margin called. So I, I would say- there's, You get to hold on to your Bitcoin as long as you can maintain that loan. Yeah, I, I would say if you, uh, if you're thinking about taking out a loan, they are super easy to work with. It's a very fast process. It's a very clean process. But know that it is um, it, it's going to be on your mind, right? We all need to but any any type of a a a, a loan that is secured um, with some sort of property or collateral. If if the market moves against us, um, you know we have to we have to make a uh, we have to make adjustments and 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 cover that. And and we as like consumers really aren't used to that because we're we're so used to like loans against dollars that are in dollars and you know we've locked in or maybe we haven't maybe it's a fixed or floating interest rate um but it's it, you know but if you're trading commodities like you're if you're trading anything else and the market moves against you like you're very used to this concept you're very used to being uh to constantly watching your um you know what what the value of your collateral is versus the the value of your loan right I'm curious, does something like this exist with uh, mortgages as well? I have heard that that is being talked about. I don't think I am aware that someone is actually doing that. They will be, right? They will be because Bitcoin, I think it's it's under five years that people realize that Bitcoin is safer than treasuries. So to you know give a loan for anything as with using Bitcoin as collateral, well, it's like the safest, most pristine collateral on earth. It's, it's just not a widely, um, it, that's not a socialized idea, right? This is one right. of the ideas that we have to socialize. 
So here in Canada, we do have we do have a spot Bitcoin ETF. So like if I wanted to take my retirement account, my RRSP and put money into it, I, I could do that. And in fact, I have done that in the past. Um, in the States, like apart from what may be a future Bitcoin ETF, is there any other way to you know, take your 401k, your IRA and to, to sort of buy Bitcoin with it? Is that an option? Yeah, you can buy Bitcoin uh, in an IRA through Unchained. And you and can you're, hold you're your holding account. physical Bitcoin. You're holding physical Bitcoin. You're holding your own keys. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Yes, I, I wasn't sure about that. Unchained, and I don't even work for Unchained, but they're, <laughs> they're fantastic. So okay. I highly, highly recommend. I, I feel like, and I didn't know that. So I kind of feel like the majority of people don't know that. I think more information needs to be put out there and, and not just with Unchained, but any other companies that are doing this. Because yeah. I, I think one reason why people are so excited about this spot ETF coming is they're like, oh, I finally have an opportunity to take my retirement account and, and buy Bitcoin with it. But no, there, there are other options. Well, I would say hopefully you do, right? Um, hopefully it's not... Uh, you know, let's say that you've your employer has a 401k uh, through a participating plan, that participating plan needs to make it available to you. And I, I am aware that, um, you know, kind of in the earlier days of these discussions, there were a lot of plans that were saying we're not offering that or you can only do that with, you know, 2% or some like, you know, egregiously um, infringe an infringement of, you know, my ability to direct my retirement account. Like, I don't want anybody telling me where I can invest money. Like, no, thanks. I, I don't, I don't need you holding my hand while I cross the street. You know, um, I can look both ways. Yeah. I, I have that issue with my own pension. My pension happens to invest quite well, but, uh, in the past they've invested in companies like FTX rather than buying Bitcoin outright know how that's fared so yeah i'd love to be able to just say yeah i'm going to take that and put it into bitcoin um so i mentioned right off the top that there's some like pretty big news today in the bitcoin space can you kind of tell people what that is so i've been on calls all morning but i think the long and the short of it is that a judge ruled that uh the sec was not correct in their assessment of the grayscale uh ETF approval or the the logistics for turning it down. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's my understanding of it. And I mean, for myself, it didn't come as a surprise. Um, and I say that for a couple of reasons. One is every time the SEC has given their reason for not approving it, you know, they're saying that we're trying to protect uh, investors. Meanwhile, they're you know they're accepting a futures ETF, which, as far as I know, could be manipulated much more so than an actual physical spot ETF. And when uh, when that, I guess, last appeal came in several months ago, it sounded like the judges that uh, going into the case were sort of against Grayscale. More of them were now in favor of Grayscale. So I'm not surprised by this. For me, it was just kind of a matter of time. But, but it is big news because it does imply that companies like the Fidelities and BlackRocks of the world are finally going to get that approval. So this is Sam Callahan from Swan. He wrote, here's a sentence in the judge's grayscale ruling that rejects the heart of the SEC's argument for why it rejected numerous spot Bitcoin ETFs over the years. And the sentence is, grayscale, however, provided evidence that CME Bitcoin futures prices are 99.9% .9 correlated with spot market prices. Based on that data, 
fraud in the spot market would present identical problems for a Bitcoin ETP and a Bitcoin futures ETP. Bitcoin futures are derivatives of Bitcoin, and as long as the market is efficient, arbitrage will drive prices together. Okay. I can't say that means too much to me. That's a little technical, but, and if I'm feeling that way, I'm sure there's like listeners out there too that are saying, oh, that's a little bit too much financial jargon for me. But I think it goes uh, back to what I was saying, where it, like- it, The long and the short of it is the concern was that the, the pricing would not be efficient for physical ETF and therefore by, you know, there, therefore investors would be hurt because we're not sophisticated creatures and we're not trading in the futures market. And we don't understand these big words that they use, which is garbage, right? Again, it's <laughs> like this socialized narrative that investors, you know, are inherently dumb and we need to be protected and uh, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. I will say the, the other thing that Sam's got on his his Twitter this morning is that the GBT discount is at 16, negative 16% and is narrowing. And that is monumental um, because, you know, it, I think at its greatest discount, it was like four, it was almost 50% discount. So what that means um, is that the actual shares of, uh, of the ETF were worth let's say, let's just call it 50%, 50% of the value of the Bitcoin that was being held inside of the grayscale vehicle, right? That's a problem. And again, like efficient market says that, um, that those two things should be close together. But if there's regulatory threat and the perception is that, you know, grayscale is never going to get approved and it's never going to get turned into an ETF. Therefore, it's like decreased liquidity, it's decreased participation, it's inefficient markets. I mean, I never bought into that narrative. I knew that um, that eventually it would catch up. And, and I think that most people should not have been worried about that because I think most people, at least that I know, um, hold that grayscale vehicle in an, in a retirement account. And you know, you're, you're like years away. We're, we're also young. We're years away from touching our retirement account. And I just want to make it clear to people, like we keep mentioning physical Bitcoin. It's, it's Bitcoin, as you know, it is still this digital, you know, uh, not tangible thing. Uh, but that's just like, you know, I guess that's the best way that we can refer to it. Cause if you're not buying physical Bitcoin, then you're essentially buying a derivative of it, um, okay. which you want to stay away from if you can. <laughs> All right. Well, I would clarify that. So Bitcoin is physical. It is a bearer instrument. You and you alone can take possession of it. And, you know, again, like what that looks like is, you know, you hold private keys to your Bitcoin and um, and it's represented typically by um, either 12 words or 24 words. But those words are each representative of a string of digits. So um, the string of digits were assigned, you know, each word, those words are, are published. Um, you can Google the Bitcoin seed frayed words, words and it pops up. There's a, you know, the, they, they are the same words in every list. I mean, they're the same number, you know, word number one is, I don't even know, apple, cat, whatever it is, chair. Um, but you can take possession of those. And if you have those, and if you're the only one that has those, um, you're the only one that has access to that Bitcoin. 
you know, a Bitcoin future is a wrapped product whereby, um, you know, the, the institution um, does not, uh, you, you as a holder of that product does not have access to those keys. I'm glad you clarified that. Uh, the reason I said it is my father-in-law, who, by the way, is a Bitcoin skeptic, he's like, oh, yeah, I totally hold Bitcoin. And he always pulls a physical one out of his pocket, you know, like one of the actual coins. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I just want to make it clear, like when they say physical Bitcoin, they're not talking about these coins. They're still talking about the stuff that, you know, you and I uh, invest in. Um, I want to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit. Um, this is going to be recording number it's either 28 or 29. Um, and the reason I mentioned that is because you're only the second female that I've had on my show. And hoping I can get more of you guys uh, on here. Do you know why there's sort of this lack of females in the Bitcoin space? Any idea? I'm sure you like you and some of your colleagues have sort of spoken about that. I never talk about it, but I think really? it's because I, I think it's because you guys don't. Um, I think because you guys have such a good time talking to one another um, and you need to broaden your circle because there's a whole lot of women <laughs> out there and there are a whole lot of really smart women. Um, I mean, you've got you've got like heads of of major bitcoin mining companies that are women um you have heads of in investment firms that are women that are focused on bitcoin um you, you know you've got there there's so many all-star women in this space i, I will say to your point in, in all seriousness i think the biggest problem with women joining um you know becoming a public voice is that uh is that women are, are again, we're socialized to be uh, deferential. We're socialized to let others speak. We're socialized to, to um, you know, to like raise our hands and, uh, and that's just all total garbage. You know, like it, you need to take responsibility for yourself. You have a right to speak out. Um, you should speak up. Uh, I believe that you can say anything you want as long as you say it politely. Um, you know, I, I really try to like always be respectful, but I want my voice to, I, I, I'm not afraid of expressing my opinion. And, and I think that, that women should not be, uh, afraid. And I've had conversations with, with women, um, that I've met at conferences who I've said, like, you know, I see you in Twitter spaces. I see you, you're a listener every day. Like you need to come up on stage and talk. And they say, well, you know, blah, 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 but it's always like the same seven or eight guys. And, you know, I don't, I don't really have anything to add to their conversation. And what I would say is then change the conversation, right? Like, because their voice only has a reach that goes so far, but I can tell you that when I get up and speak, my voice reaches somebody that that 35 year old bearded guy who, you know, um, wears flip-flops and a hoodie, like that his voice doesn't reach. And I don't say that disrespectfully at all. I think that every voice is important. So women really need to understand that, you know, if you understand Bitcoin, then you're a Bitcoiner, right? Like if you understand it, count yourself a Bitcoiner, count your voices being worthy and, and you know, participate, host, um, you know, hold events, put groups together. Um, I, but I would say like, don't focus on it being a male, female thing. Like, focus, I think Bitcoin is really like the, the best chance we have at, uh, you know, of uh, freedom of speech and liberty for all. Um, 
every voice is important every every vote is equal like yeah i, I agree with you like everything you said and i think there are some really big names in the space like one, one of my favorite people is lynn alden who just put out that book uh I'd, I'd love to get lynn on this on this show i i think there's a lot of people out there that would agree like as far as macro stuff goes like she's the the person to go to right um for information isn't the ceo of riot also female am i right no. about that no, no fail. um I forget who i'm thinking of jamie yeah jamie leverton so jamie's yep. at eight and they're buying um us bitcoin corp uh, but then you've also got, uh, sorry, I'm looking her name up. Uh, you have Alexandra DaCosta, who is the CEO of Aspen Creek Digital. They go by ACDC. I mean, she is incredible. Like, uh, if you've never heard her speak, just, uh, she was a Cantor Fitzgerald. She was the head of their, um, this is actually pretty funny. She was the head of their ESG group, um, I think she went to Princeton. She was at Deutsche Bank. She went to Stanford Business School. Like she's a badass. There's a lot of like super smart people that are in the space. Um, and and you should actually you should call uh, both of them and have them on. You guys should should talk uh, Bitcoin mining and I don't know. Sounds good. I, I'm going to reach out. Um, I, I think part of it might be that you know we've developed this like you know that sort of toxic Bitcoin maxi culture where like. You only eat uh, red meat, you stay away from seed oils and things like that. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's a little silly. It's it's almost a, a joke, actually. Um, for me, somebody who's a Bitcoin maxi is like, first of all, somebody who understands what the technology is and its implications. Uh, and then somebody who kind of lives and breathes it and is trying to do everything in their you know, power to, to, to share their knowledge, to get people into it. Um, because I think like you and I, we both feel like it's this lifeboat, this sort of preserve that people can turn to because things are only getting harder. We're losing purchasing power. And so what other savings vehicle is there but Bitcoin? So for me, a maxi is just somebody who, who understands it and tries through and through to get it in, you know, into other people's heads. Um, I'm fortunate in that, like when I look at my podcast statistics, um, it's about 22, 23% of listeners are female. So, you know, I'm doing something right. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to, you know, kind of even the playing field a little bit more if I can. Um, yeah. So the, the advice you gave, I, I agree. Like people should just get, get out and do it. Um, I actually spoke to a couple of educators yesterday and uh, we were, we were conversing and I thought, you know, one thing that people can do is like, if you're in a book club or starting a book club, you know, forget like the normal narratives you read, uh, pick up, you know, Lynn Alden's new book, pick up Jeff Booth's, you know, Price of Tomorrow, things like that, I, I think are just kind of another entry point into the space. Um, there's, there's so much, you know, financial jargon in there. And if you're doing it as sort of a book club, it's a great way to like talk to, you know, that your elbow partner and say like, what does that mean? Oh, I kind of got lost in the weeds there. How can you help me out? Um, yeah, just, just a suggestion, but uh, yeah, if we can get more females into it, I mean, the, 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 the space is going to grow, obviously the price is going to grow, but more importantly, uh, we can help each other out. It's, it's sort of that simple. Um, I don't think I've forgotten anything. Is there anything you wanted to add before we sort of wrap up? Uh, no, I was just thinking that while you were talking, I mean, yeah, you definitely should reach out to Jamie, especially because she's in Canada. She I did like a right while back and, uh, she was, she seemed interested. She's like, can you, uh, can you touch base with me? Um, 
I think she has like some support staff she wanted me to contact. I just haven't gotten around to it. But yeah, I definitely like to have her on this show as well. Um, for people that want to look you up, uh, maybe reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. I do try to reply. I do reply to every direct message. So if I can be of service to you, if you want to talk about Bitcoin, if you want to talk about the connection to Bitcoin and energy, um, feel free to reach out to me. I schedule these like quick 15 minute catch ups. I'm doing four today. Um, so I try to give away like an hour a day or so where, um, you know, if, if people want some time and they just want to talk to somebody in the space, like I, I'm all for that because I think that the more people that come into the space and, and bring their expertise, if they're listening to your podcast, um, they're clearly an expert at something. So the more people that can connect to this space, you know, the faster we see hyper-Bitcoinization. Awesome. And if you're, if you're on Twitter and you ever check out Twitter spaces, you'll, you'll probably see, uh, or hear Lisa on there. That That's how I, you know, first, first heard your name. And, uh, I was like, oh, I, I got to get her on my show. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time and, uh, hope to do this again sometime. Thank you very much, Milan. See you later. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Thank you all for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. You can find me, Milan, on Twitter. My handle is at MilanNesic84. It's at M-I-L-A-N-N-E-S-I-C-8-4. If you want to write me, maybe you have a question, an idea for a show, or even a guest, my email address is Milan at BTCVSTheBanks.com. Lastly, if you want to help support the show, see it grow, you're welcome to donate via Lightning, and the address to send to is BTC vs the banks at fountain.com. That's F O U N T A I N dot FM.